Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Fans. Welcome to a very special edition of the Parastel Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Abraham. We are in our YouTube, our YouTube studios, our uscfootball.com studios, live on YouTube and coming at you across the uh, podcasting platforms. And we have a very special guest. We have a kind of crowded studio right now, but let me pull this shot up here. We have USC Athletic Director Jen Cohen here in the studio with us. Jen, here we got some applause here. So, Jen, thank you. <laughs> Along with, uh, less important, of course, Connor Morissette, a.k.a. Triple Double, and uh, RJ Abadia sitting here, too. So we got like four of them. We're ganging up on uh, USC Athletic Director Jen Cole. But, uh, Jen, thank you so much for uh, coming to the studio and talking with us today. It's awesome to be here. Wow, that was an energetic welcome, too. <laughs> I already had a lot of coffee. You got me even more hyped. Get your Let's hype go. Up a bit. Fight I, on. I've been, I started this in like 2008, the Peristyle Podcast, and I have no idea how that intro started, but I just that's what I've been doing. So people come up to me and like, Hello, they do that all the time. So, um, <laughs> but it was good. But we—I I know you got a busy day today. So, thank you so much for carving out a little bit of uh, time for us. It's really cool to get you on here. And uh, five months on the job—I guess just a few days over five months just to get started. Like, how is it? Has it been so far? I mean, a lot, a lot's been going on. I mean, yeah. the college football's changing like by the second. But how's the the first five months been going? Yeah, it's it's been incredible. Uh, I've known since my childhood and throughout my career that USC is a such a special place, and so to to be here to be leading this athletic department, it's energizing. And as you said, there is a lot changing in the landscape, and I just feel so confident about uh, the position that we're in here at USC. In the LA Times in November, Jen, you mentioned wanting to have clarity and alignment on NIL in the subsequent months. How have you worked on those goals and what's changed since then? Yeah, I mean, USC is the best place in America for NIL. I really believe that. I think we have the one-two punch in that, one, we have the biggest stage in college sports right here in LA. We have so many brands that are interested in partnering with our student-athletes, and we've seen that. We've seen high-profile student-athletes engage with brands uh, here in our city in really meaningful and impactful ways for the lives of our student athletes. Additionally, we're really excited about the work being done with our donor collective, House of Victory. Shout out. I've got my my shirt on today uh, for them. And we're raising a lot of support and resource to support all 23 of our programs and all 600 of our student athletes. Uh, I'm just happy for student athletes. Our student athletes do... Um, a lot beyond just competition. They have great brands. They have outstanding stories. They care about a lot of things beyond their sports too. And so NIL gives them a chance to develop themselves more holistically. It gives them more business savvy experience and it uh, provides a great platform for them to shine on who they are uh, as a whole person. And so really excited about the work being done at USC. So, you guys are kind of operating in kind of the Wild West moments of NIL and Collective. There hasn't been a lot of regulation. There hasn't been a lot of clarity. And when you have a situation like that, 
there's a lot of presumptions, a mm-hmm. lot of assumptions and stuff like that. And I think one of the biggest ones is that, and, and Lincoln Riley has kind of said explicitly that you guys prefer to draw a line in terms of college student athletes and getting them as many opportunities as possible and there being a difference between that group and recruits and high school athletes and, and how the space works out for them. And there's there's a perception that there's a pretty significant divide into where you guys put your energy and resources. And I wonder if you could just speak to that, just philosophically, why you think it's important to have that line, especially at a time when not every school is playing by the same rules. Yeah. I mean, you're right in that the rules actually continue to change and evolve. And I think we're going to get more clarity on those rules and more enforcement around those rules as we move forward. So for example, this summer, we're going to be able to, we're going to have new rules in place through the NCAA that will allow even further engagement from our staff and our coaches with our donor collective. So that actually is going to help limit some of those concerns that you may have about, are you in the right lane here? The reality is, is that if we are serving our current student athletes well, if we are providing not only great coaches and great services and great facilities, but also opportunity through NIL, we're going to retain our student athletes and that allows us to recruit the best of the best. So that is why that philosophy is the, is the right thing to do because we have to focus on making sure that we are developing the current student athletes that we have, providing them the experience they deserve, which is winning in academics and NIL and great resources. That speaks for itself when you're recruiting. We uh, get a lot of comments on uscfootball.com and social media. I'm sure you do as well. USC is terrible in NIL. There's there's a lot of just, I don't know if it's perception or whatever it is, that people feel like that USC is behind. And, you know, I think when it started, they probably weren't, uh, you know, kind of up to speed. It seems like things are going like in the right direction, at least. I know you're working with House of Victory and everyone around USC. Like, where would, what would you kind of tell those fans that feel like there's no way USC is going to compete with Alabama or Ohio State or Texas just in this current landscape the way things we are We are really competitive in NIL when it comes to our donor collective. And in addition to that, we're even more competitive when you combine that with the brand opportunities we have in LA. So rest assured to our fans. And first of all, I love that our fans are so passionate about NIL because I think our fans have the ability to really transform a program more than they ever had before because they can step up and give to our donor collective directly. And I encourage our fans that are passionate about this, that have concerns about this to, to go online today pick your sport and give. It's a it's an easy way to give a direct gift to contribute to our ability to be competitive, but I feel really strongly about how we're serving our student athletes and our programs in particular our football program with NIL right now. We're right there with with the best of the best as far as NIL programs go. When you set the NIL policy at USC what are those conversations like? Is that a conversation with President Fult? Does she sign off on the policy? Is that something you two do together? Is it all you? Is it people in the athletic department below you and you? Just take me through when you want to do something with NIL as a school-wide policy. Who needs to sign off on that and what does it look like? Yeah, I mean, one, when I came in, there were a lot of different efforts that had played out on NIL, right? And I think, Brian, that's what you're hitting on maybe is that there was a little bit of confusion about NIL and where does it fit? Listen, people are confused about NIL everywhere. It is a very complicated 
uh, environment and the rules keep changing and some people aren't playing by them, right? And so as it relates to what we're doing now with NIL, there's a lot of clarity on campus about what our philosophies are and our processes. And that's really something that we're owning as an athletic department. It's my job as the athletic director to develop the best services and programs for all of our student athletes. NIL has been top priority for me since I got here and our staff's doing a phenomenal job and so are our partners like House of Victory. So obviously you're a very forward thinker. That's a lot that's become very obvious in a very short amount of time. But if we could just take you back to the past a little bit, both individually as to how you kind of got to where you are right now, because I know you have you came from kind of a fundraising yeah. background. You have that you, you definitely have that on your resume. But also as someone who was on the inside of the end of the Pac-12, when in your mind was the writing on the wall, especially as an athletic director who had to engineer a conference change mm -hmm. in response. From from your point of view, when was it really over for the conference? And what were what are the big takeaways from that from that whole situation? Yeah, I would say that uh, one, USC loved their membership in the Pac twelve and speaking from my past experience at Washington, I grew up in the Pac eight, the Pac ten, the Pac twelve and it was a beautiful conference. And, you know, I just, I guess I kind of want to acknowledge how disappointing it is that it, it it's not going to exist in the form that we knew it, um, but who knows what form it will exist in. There was a time after SC and UCLA left that it still felt like this league was going to stay together. And I really believe that the presidents of, of that conference and the athletic directors did everything they could to try to uh, keep the league together uh, for a long period of time. Uh, it's a little bit of a whirlwind for me when I think about what happened with Washington and Oregon getting in um, kind of at the last minute. I was also moving my son to college to go be a college football player. And then about four weeks later, I became the athletic director at USC. So I don't know if I was, I've ever thought about whether or not it was going to survive or not. I just know that there was a lot of effort made to try to maintain the traditions and uh, the pride that we had within our conference. And unfortunately, this landscape is changing in dramatic ways that we don't all have control over. I will tell you this, I am really excited for USC to be a, a future member here real shortly in the Big Ten. I am so impressed with our commissioner. I'm so impressed with the other 17 schools and their brands. I'm so impressed with the forward thinking that is coming from the leadership of the Big Ten. We are in the driver's seat in college sports. I think it is the best conference in America. It is a national conference, and that's really where our energy is now, moving forward. The, uh, I mean, you were kind of uniquely positioned when you came in uh, back in August. I think I asked you about this during the press conference, but you... you know, Not Sideline Jen. Sideline Jen. Yeah. Well, that was that. That was That's also <laughs> funny, too. So very energetic. So if you see Jen on the sidelines, she's going to high-five you, give you a fight on, you know, all that stuff. But the... What you create, you know, what you did at Washington, you know, it's one of those things where you're building things up. You hire Kalen DeBoer, where, you know, there's like an up and coming kind of coach. And boom, they end up, you know, going to the playoffs. And then you see it sort of kind of crumble down too. like, I mean, what what were your thoughts on everything that's happened? I mean, the, you know, three of the teams that are in the cultural football playoff don't have their coaches anymore. There's, there's just kind of chaos going on. But it had to be kind of surreal just to kind of watch all that sort of from afar, something like, some pride of building this uh, up to where like, wow, Washington made the college football playoff in the national championship game. And then everything that's kind of happened since. Yeah. I mean, one, 
I was so happy for Coach DeBoer, his staff, Husky fans, those student athletes in particular. There were so many young men in that program that wrote out a lot of adversity. I think there's a lot of lessons as you're talking about all the change, right? Sticking things out matters too, and you can get rewarded when you do that. And that there were some student athletes on that team that endured three different coaches. And so it was it was really fun for me being down here as as a kid that also loved UW growing up to just watch that success and and to see good people have that kind of success. I was able to go to the national championship game and that was kind of surreal too. And and uh, I have nothing but love and respect and gratitude for Kalen for what he did for the University of Washington. And I think this is, this is, these examples are just, everything's changing, right? In college sports, guess what? Everything's changing in the world. College athletics is just a microcosm of what is going on in society. And so our ability to adapt and be nimble, it, those are skills that we have to keep developing in the world of college sports. I'm fascinated by NIL, so I want to take it back there. Oh, we're going back. Let's go. (laughs) Make a gift. Make a gift. (laughs) We see schools like Texas and Ohio State. I think last week it came out, the big agency, WME, Mm -hmm. those schools have partnered with that agency to help facilitate some contracts. And that, to me, seems like a cutting-edge move, something that those schools are doing that separates them from other schools. Does USC have a plan to get involved with an agency? Yeah, we, well, first of all, there are certain parts of the agency work that are still not permissible. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing I'll say. Come this, come this summer, we are fully expecting that there will be a, additional rule changes that will allow for schools to actually be more directly involved with creating the brand opportunities and the deals themselves directly for our student athletes. So we will be evolving our NIL program in-house again. It could be that we have a brand agency in-house. It could be that we outsource uh, the brand agency work to somebody like a WME. We might do that more locally because there's already people within our community that are already doing brand work on our behalf for our student athletes that have a business model for that. So uh, we're not a we're not behind in that space. We will, and we're already in meetings now to talk about come this summer, what will a new version of an in-house or shared model look like? So Chip Kelly recently made the argument that we're either at the point or maybe we're heading to the point where it might be time to let football exist in its own space, just in terms of the logistics, just in terms of you talk about the 23 teams Football gets the lion's share of the attention, but there's 22 other teams now set to play a Big Ten schedule at USC. And is that for sure the best way to do it? Is is there is there a point at which football needs to be addressed as a separated entity? What are, what are your personal thoughts on that? Well, one, I think we need to get the data more accurate here as it relates to how student-athletes are impacted by conference realignment. At USC, only 40% of our student athletes are going to have a Big Ten conference regular season travel schedule, only 40%. Within that group, that's football, which is a big roster sport. We have a number of sports that will play perhaps for a Big Ten championship, but throughout the entire season are not going to be competing in Big Ten regions. So the travel impact on student athletes isn't really exactly how People have been thinking about it or talking about it. So I think it starts there. As far as where football goes, where our other sports go, there's a lot of questions, right? I mean, we're dealing with with litigation. 
We're dealing with potential federal legislation. We're dealing with governance issues. You know, we've got factors like Title IX. We have a massive amount of challenges financially and all this, you know, where all that intersects. So I don't have a crystal ball about where it's going to go. I do believe that we have great leadership at the Big Ten that's going to help us keep thinking about how we can best serve our universities, our, in our case, 23 sports, 600 student athletes, and of course, driving what is um, most important for football is going to be kind of leading in how we're making some of those decisions. What are, we got a lot of questions about the facilities and, you know, what yeah. was kind of announced and kind of give you a chance to talk about that. But I know you. like the Olympics are coming to town too in 2028. Um, you know, baseball is going to be displaced for a little while. I, I, I think in 2028 football could be kind of displaced. Like what's sort of like the landscape over the next you know several years as far as like facilities and what's going on on campus with the Olympics? Uh, first of all, I love the fact that we're thinking about 2028. First, as, as you said that, I was like, wait, what year are we in right now? I had to think what year are we in? We're in 2024. Uh, what? There's no other school in America that has more Olympic success than USC. I think in what was it in 2020? I think we had over 60 Trojans competing in the Olympics. So our history and tradition with the Olympics is unmatched. So to be able to have it here in the city in 28 and to have the university and the athletic department engaged in some ways is going to be really uniquely special. There's a, there's a, a early stages of talking about how that's going to specifically impact the athletic footprint. And actually there's not a lot of clarity yet as to what will or won't. So we look forward to partnering with the Olympics and obviously doing that through the university and, and to do our part to, to be part of something, you know, history again is going to be really special. And facility wise, like, um, what's oh, I have like... so many fun updates there. Yeah. Let's yeah, what's go. Going on I mean, okay. I'm really, you know, so excited about what we're doing for our student athletes right now. So we're building a brand new soccer lacrosse stadium, the Rawlinson stadium that we're going to break ground on in about four to six weeks. So we'll have a new home state of the art facility for both of those women's programs, two great programs, great history of success here at USC. And we'll also elevate them to, to go out and win championships in the big 10 and hopefully national championships moving forward. Uh, also very excited about the Football Sports Performance Center. This is a big investment by USC. We're building a 163,000 square foot football center. Coaches offices, recruiting spaces, really, really excited about the sports science component of this though. Additionally, we are adding an extra practice field, a turf practice field. We've already uh, broken ground on that. That field will be ready for the fall. And uh, the new facility, the Sports Performance Center and the Football Center will be uh, finished in um, 2026. So we're making great progress. They're raising a lot of money. Right now, our goal is to raise $200 million. We've raised just over $80 million. We've got all kinds of ass out. So that's been another top priority beyond NIL is raising money specifically for that project. And in doing that, we're also going to build a brand new Dado Stadium for baseball. And, you know, Coach Stanks, just an awesome guy, and he's really committed to getting USC baseball back to where it deser deserves and should be. And that facility is going to really help uh, be a big part of that. When we told fans you were coming on 
a lot of people want to know about Reggie Bush, and I don't know how much you can say about that now. Does USC have any plans to bring his Heisman back and put his jersey in the Coliseum? Well, we would love to put his jersey in the Coliseum and his Heisman back tomorrow. I mean, we are all for that. I will say I've had a lot of really uh, fun moments since I've been here. One of my favorites was Reggie's induction into the College Football Hall of Fame. I've loved a lot. I've loved Reggie. I, I watched him play and I, that all those guys, you know, and to actually be around them to me, they're like the epitome of, of USC. Like they all look like they could still go out and play and hit some people. And they were a lot of fun and they were so competitive. And we've been behind Reggie trying to get his Heisman back. We don't get to make that decision, but we've been fighting for that with him. And there are plenty of other ways to, for us, Reggie Bush is a Heisman Trophy winner and any and all ways we can honor and recognize that for him that are appropriate for him, we will do. So you got to wear a lot of hats in your job. And I'm just curious um, on a couple of things. First off, what part of your job did you feel was the most natural fit for you? Was the easiest thing for you to step into? And what parts of your job have you had to maybe do the most growth or, or go out of your comfort zone to, to kind of to do it at the level that you need to do it. Yeah, this is the greatest job in America in that we have, I think my job is to take a bunch of stakeholders and think about the stakeholders that we need to have a successful athletic program. They're so diverse, they're so unique, and most of the time they're in conflict with each other. <laughs> and those stakeholders are growing in, in their conflict or their or their opinions or their agendas as the landscape changes. And I absolutely love that because I'm all about people and helping people reach their goals. And when we can all have some alignment about our shared goals and we can do something together, that's where really magical things happen. That's where you build a really sustaining and successful athletic program. I am more inclined to spend time with people innovating, raising money, thinking about the future, developing people, trying to grow, um, challenging ourselves. I like the people development part of the work and I like the development part as you can see doing something that that gets results. I'm a competitor. I have I've been in this business, you know, I've worked in college athletics for 30 years. So I think the biggest learning curves for me over time as I develop my portfolio are just process and policy and there's just it, the jobs changed a lot in every ad especially at the power five level will tell you like we got into this because we wanted to compete we wanted to develop people we wanted to win we wanted to grow we wanted to make a difference and we're still doing that but we spent a lot more time with <laughs> lawyers and a lot less time with student athletes and i love being around student athletes and i love being around coaches and I love being around donors and people that have have competed in their own lives because there's so much to learn in that space. Way more than lawyers. I love lawyers too. <laughs> I have to now. But but it's just it's just it's changed a lot. Yeah. You know, it's changed a lot. And and year one in a job like this is it doesn't matter how skilled and experienced you are, because at the end of the day, the success that we're gonna have is gonna be dependent upon those relationships. Yeah. It's going to be dependent upon that alignment and relationships and alignment take time to build. So I'm not a very patient person. And, <laughs> and I, you know, I, I love this place. I feel so honored to lead it. And I'm just going to work every single day on behalf of USC to, to give our students, our coaches, our university, our fans, our supporters, the program that they deserve. So you got a lot going on. 
in year one, as you roll into year two of your role, uh, you know, as USC athletic director, the whole department's moving to the Big Ten. And yeah. I just kind of what what are the biggest challenges, I guess, maybe for the department? And then, you know, specifically, because a lot of our fans are, you know, the football fans, like, what are the challenges for the football team and for the athletic department as you move to an entirely different conference? The opportunity in this is unbelievable. I was just, I pulled up the football schedule the other day just to refresh and get juiced and jacked over <laughs> how good next season's going to be. And just, I think one is just that I don't, I don't see this as a challenge. I think it's an opportunity. I mean, we get to welcome a bunch of new brands, some of which we've had a history of playing, but, but not a lot. I mean, think about it. We're going to have Nebraska, Penn State, Wisconsin here at home next year. And we're going to go on the road to the big house. And that's going to be an awesome experience for our student athletes and our fans. So I do think there's, there's, there's issues around, if you think about all of our sports, the style of play, right? Uh, recruiting and your strategies and how that may change. Uh, the Kind of the national reach as it, each sport has its own unique opportunities and challenges as it, re, as it relates to the competitiveness of the program and how we resource. So we're doing a lot of great work. You know, we're benchmarking all of our programs financially, uh, to every one of the Big Ten programs and creating strategies around how we can make sure that we are competitive in those programs. The good news is, is how we've been investing in football. We're already up there with the best of the brands in the Big Ten. We're already there. We are one of the best brands in the Big Ten, and we already are committed like those programs. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but it's my understanding that if you're on the board of trustees at USC, you're not allowed to donate to collectives. I love that he's coming back to the NIL. <laughs> I just, we don't, I'm going to call you every Spencer tonight and ask if you made your gift after this <laughs> show. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I, there's there's a lot of, um, that's not my lane, but okay. there, there, there are some, there's some NCAA concerns about current trustees giving, but not lifetime trustees. I can assure you that our fundraising is going extremely well. We need more support for all of our programs, but there we have made great strides in uh, contributions to make sure that we're competitively managing our roster here at USC, in particular with football. So just back Thank to you. the... You're welcome. Back to the hats question. I'm just curious... Mm -hmm. With Lincoln Riley specifically, but with all your coaches, yeah. what hat do you end up actually wearing the most for them? Is it psychiatrist? Is it yeah. like, what's the dynamic with with how you interact with them and and what you do as both supporter and evaluator? I love that question. I actually got asked this question yesterday by somebody else, and I said, just in general, from a leadership perspective, I actually do think about things from a psychological standpoint a lot. I do feel like I'm a psychologist in that ultimately my job is to serve. And my job is to serve and work on behalf of our coaches, which then works to serve on behalf of our student athletes. So the best way to serve is to understand what motivates the other person, not what motivates you. That's what true leadership is. And so whether it's Lincoln or whether it's Lindsay or whether it's Andy or any, we have so many outstanding head coaches at USC. I love this group of head coaches. It's really my job to ultimately understand who they are, what makes them tick. So I'm a combination of, I do have a little psychology in me because I have to understand what's motivating them or what, what they're excited about or what they're struggling with because I have to help them be their best. That's my job. I have to help them be their best. I also have a little bit of a construction worker in me because I will bulldoze things out of their way 
to help them be more successful. So I, I see myself as a little bit, can be a little bit of a wrecking ball sometimes. I'll go out and fight for some things for them to take a little bit of the pressure off for them because I want them focusing on their jobs. Their jobs, just like my jobs, have changed dramatically. And that's that won't change. That's going to continue. But how do I help support them? And how do we collectively of a staff in a university and a community of supporters help support them while they're navigating the changing landscape too. Did we, I know we only got a few minutes left. One of the questions that comes up a lot, and it's been coming up for years, and I know there's challenges being a, you know, a kind of a landlocked campus at USC, but people want a women's softball team. They've talked about it for a long Gosh, time. Gosh, you and me both. Yeah, I mean, Washington's got a great softball tradition, obviously. Unbelievable. Um, yeah, and then, you know, they've talked about other sports too, but with the way college, the college landscape is changing, uh, the president of the NCAA, you know, made that proposal or leaked the proposal where there would be um, the universities paying student athletes like $30,000 per athlete. I mean, just growing in sports right now seems like it's going to be even more challenging. But what are your kind of thoughts on adding any sports, but, you know, specifically women's soccer? Yeah, I mean, right now our priority is to ensure that we are supporting, funding, innovating around the existing sports that we have. We have a, a relatively large athletic department and we have very competitive programs going into a new conference that is going to require additional investment in every way possible. I'm all about opportunity. I mean, that's why we do these jobs. You know, college athletics is about opportunity and access to opportunity. So I think as far as adding sports go, I think nobody knows where they're going to end up in this thing, but it's our job to constantly be evaluating. So we're going to continue to evaluate our sports programs, our competitiveness of our sports programs, the opportunities that they provide and you know, what's appropriate in the future. I guess we have time for one more, maybe, Ryan? Sure, is ahead. it going to be an NIL question? <laughs> I no, appreciate no, this. Let's no. keep talking NIL. It is so important. Connor okay, wants to fine. NIL uh, bingo. Uh, I might not answer it, depending <laughs> on where you're getting more granular um, in your questions. Yeah, no, uh, I think you can answer this. It might depend on what happens in the future. Do you plan on bringing the collectives together ever? Is that a conversation? Well, there's only one true donor yeah. collective. So that that there's only one big collective that's raising money. So I think that's the other thing that's a little confusing. People... People will refer to an agency that's creating brand opportunities for our student-athletes as a collective. The way we see it is the collective is the group that's raising the money. It's yeah. a nonprofit where all the money's going back to our student-athletes. The, the role of some of the other groups in creating brand opportunities for our student-athletes is phenomenal in that that's that one-two punch I was referring to. That's actual taking brands and connecting with, them, with the student-athletes. I believe what will happen, though, as these rules keep changing, is that the athletic departments will be able to do that work themselves. And ultimately, if you think about what we're doing here, and it goes back to the Wild Wild West comment, this is such a complicated environment for our student athletes too. And as excited as I am for them to have these opportunities, I also see the other side. I see student athletes that are stressed. I see that we have nine full-time sports psychologists at USC, something we're very proud of, but young people have a lot of demands placed on them. Young student athletes have probably the most demands placed on them. So ideally we get to a point where all NIL services can be provided in-house because we're the closest with our student athletes. It allows for us to educate and in many cases protect them um, and manage their time better. So oh, I think that's where we're going to end up in the future. 
You were at the national championship game. I was. You're the athletic director at a school whose fan base is pretty <laughs> convicted that that's where their season should be ending. Yeah. Um, as candidly as possible, what is the gap between your football program and the schools that we've seen play in the national championship game and and, and your expectations for, for when and how that gap's going to get well, closed? Well, here's what's so interesting about that is that in the landscape that we're in now – it doesn't take as much time to close that gap. I mean, you saw what happened up there um, as far as gap closing and getting to that national championship game. Now, I do believe that program was in a different position when Kalen inherited it versus the program when Lincoln inherited it. So I think we're extremely close. One, I think we have an elite coach who made the right decision to make very significant changes on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I really am impressed and excited and committed to this defensive staff that he, he brought in. Um, we can go out our collective and the opportunities that we're providing here at USC and the educational opportunities to our history and our brand and our new facility. We can go out and continue to get the best of the best of student athletes within this program. So uh, I'm very optimistic that we're going to be, you know, sitting there going to a, a national championship game together. And I really also believe that the, that the expansion of the CFP is the first step for everybody. I mean, how do we have a national championship that only four people get access to? Yeah. Yeah. That, may, that, that, that makes it really hard. And so the expansion is also going to give us a chance. Let's just go win a conference and get ourselves in every year. Jennifer Cohen, USC Athletic Director. We really, <laughs> really appreciate you coming in. Um, yeah, in the studio, which is great, just to have you here and uh, you know dealing with all of us uh, throwing questions at you. It's coming from all over the place, so hopefully it was fun. Great. I love it. You great, I know you got a whole bunch of stuff to do, but we really appreciate your time uh, coming in here. So thank you so much, and make sure to go check out House of Victory if you want, you know, want to be part of the solution and not the problem. You can help uh, donate and. Uh, Get some more money for the athletic department and the NIL efforts. But thank you again. Uh, thank Jen, you. Fight on. All right, everybody. Uh, we'll be back in a minute. Uh, we're going to get Jen off to uh, where she's going. We'll be back here and finish up the podcast with Connor, RJ, and myself. So back in a minute, everybody. Thank you. All right, we're back here on uh, the Peristyle Podcast. It's uh, me and Connor right now. Yes, and, can you hear me? Uh, hopefully, yeah. Okay, good. Looks like, look like we're good. Um, RJ will be back. He's walking um, uh, Jen out uh, to her car, and he'll come back and join in the studio and stuff. So sorry for, if you're watching on YouTube. That was a uh, longer break than we normally um, have, but we just, you know, we had to kind of transition out with it. But it was really cool to get... Uh, Jen Cohen, come in here. We had Mike Bone, I guess, three, four years ago uh, remotely, but the first time we had an athletic director come into studio. So that was it was pretty cool to, to get her in here. Oh, amazing. Full credit to Jen for, for doing it and just the fact that she'll answer everything. And I really appreciated that. She didn't shy away from any of my NIL questions. And I hope that that provided some fans. I mean, we had a little bit of a S-storm on the, the peristyle today regarding some NIL stuff. I hope that gives people answers and some insights, and um, I'm happy to talk offline with any 
want to ask further questions as well. But I, I just thought that was that was very interesting, Ryan, especially the stuff at the end where, you know, trustee thing, that's not really my lane. Jen Cohen, of course, is the AD and is doing the best she can for USC's athletic department and, and the athletes. But there's another group at the school involved, and that's the, the higher-ups there, and they have a big say in what happens as well. And I think people need to remember that. Yeah, um, for sure. We'll get RJ back here in a minute and kind of talk about that too. But, uh, you know, there's, I appreciate there's a lot of fans in there that were like, well, but they're, you know, still even in the chat, uh, unha- you know, happy with the way things are going. Like we tried to ask her as many questions as we could. We had about 30 minutes. It was really nice um, that she gave us that much time. So it was cool to, it was good to see uh, her in here and get, you know, questions and stuff. We tried to ask the stuff that you guys would want to know. Um, and yeah, like, She's the athletic director at USC. There's going to be some positive things said about, you know, we're raising money. And I think they really are. And I think that's where USC is going. If you want to compare it to what Oregon's doing, are they going to raise a lot more money with Phil Knight? Yeah, that's just going to be the case. You just want USC to kind of get their ducks in a row. I think they started a little bit further behind, you know, when things were going before, uh, especially under, you know, the Mike Bone and, you know, uh, administration and they've moved forward. And I think they really are making a lot of progress, but it is a, it's a moving target. Um, sometimes you're playing catch up and then things change and you're kind of doing things. But I, I think the, the important part of this is she's, she cares. (laughs) Thinks she's really good at her job and she's going to do whatever she needs to do to make sure that this is not a problem. I know a lot of fans think this is a problem. USC screwed. I mean, on her watch, I don't think whatever needs to be fixed, I think she's someone that's going to go in there and try to fix it. I agree. And I think, too, it people won't want to hear it, but it's going to take a little bit of time. And USC is very aware of what happened in the past with Reggie Bush and just getting burned by the NCAA. And I know the NCAA, it seems like they're losing power every day. But I, I think what's happened in the past has definitely affected what USC does now. So I thought it was interesting when – I asked about the cutting edge stuff with the WME representation for Texas and Ohio State. Jen talked about how that's coming, but we want to see the NCAA maybe make some changes to their rules before we do it. And I think other schools, instead of waiting for the NCAA, are being more proactive in in USC. Like we've talked about on this podcast a million times, I think that sort of uh, was confirmed today that USC wants to be patient, wants to do things by the book, and that won't make people happy. But right now, that's the rules that they're playing by, and that's just how it's going to be. Yeah. We got RJ Abadia back. Thanks for uh, walking Jen out there. You get a few yeah. extra minutes. You I was know. a gentleman. Well, you guys are already <laughs> getting started on the, get show, the show, rambling around. And, you know, someone has to let her uh, let her out the door politely. That was nice, though. What did, I mean, it was a lot. The three of us kind of uh, sending questions her way. But RJ, what were your kind of initial thoughts from uh, the interview? Well, she's a real operator. This was not her first rodeo, obviously. I think you can tell kind of the savvy and kind of, you can you can see why she succeeds and why she is where she is based on that talk. I think if you listened closely enough, we pretty much got the answers that we were hoping to get. Um and I think the simplest way to say it on the biggest issue is is that there are entities who seek forgiveness and there are entities who seek permission and right now usc is very clearly an entity content to seek permission in terms of the way it operates um with nil and collectives and football and you know the thing that everyone cares the most about and 
you can debate the merit or lack of merit of that. And obviously in the competitive space that we're in, it's tough to wear it right now because the ones who are going to seek forgiveness are ahead. That's just the bottom line. They are out recruiting the schools who are seeking permission. I think the best thing that I heard is a very clear notion that the more regulated this gets, the more organized it gets, the more legislated it gets over time, USC is going to be in a better and better and better position. Like to me, that was the, she essentially created, set it up a scenario where you've got this entity that's kind of chomping at the bit, waiting for the green light. And when they get the green light, I think USC is going to get to where everyone wants it to be. Until they get the green light, it's important for people to realize that they're not going to get there. Well, are you at all worried, though, like the NCAA that requires, I said that weird, the NCAA that requires them sort of coming out and establishing these rules? And like, I feel like you're relying on an entity that's unreliable. I do, but I also don't think that the NCAA's future in its current form is made to last. I don't I, I think whether it's whether it's a combination of the NCAA, Congress, one or the other, or just football as an entity kind of just taking control, I think we're in the stages where this is going to get professionalized. That that's just the bottom line. It's gonna get professionalized and that's great news because it's organized. You know, you heard Lincoln Riley reference this earlier in the year, right? He's, he he kind of lamented the idea that, like, in, in the NFL, you don't have to wonder what the value of a left tackle is. You don't have to wonder what the value of a second-year cornerback is, a free agent, blah, 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 right? Everyone knows there's a structure, there's a cap, and there's an equilibrium, Right? College football is operating without that right now. There's a semi-equilibrium maybe for a top 10 recruit, a top 20, but because there's no rules, it's just a game of can you top this? So back to what you're saying, I think the, again, it's a short-term frustration, and what's frustrating about it the most is we don't know how short the short-term is. It could be five years till this gets to the place where USC is comfortable hitting the, hitting the accelerator. Right, it could be six months. You know, she's not. Jen, Jen wasn't wrong in saying nobody knows when or how. But I think that the bottom line is just really simple. USC as an institution is not going to put itself out and cross lines when there could be consequences yeah. on the legal front. They're just not going to do it. And it's important as a Trojan fan to just know that in this moment. Uh, real quick, I, so we we wanted to get as many questions into Jen as as we could, and uh, look, you know, she stayed even over the half an hour thing. Didn't get anything to go up the top, so pay a couple bills here. Just want to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's. I know it's uh, later into the show, but thanks, they've been great to us uh, over the years. Um, I've loved, I just love going in there and kind of I, I go through the produce department. I, I'm back in the day, back in my high school days, guys, I used to work in the produce department of a grocery store. Now, Trader Joe's weren't around back then, but uh, so I always like to start in the produce department and go through things. Uh, I get a lot of different fruits and then just kind of, I usually go maybe get those like rosemary marinated steak tips and then I'll get like some, I love the red potatoes, little baby red potatoes and then like uh, asparagus or 
um, broccoli for let's something like that. Uh, I like to kind of, you know, make little meals that way, but I always start the produce department. I don't know if you guys do too, but I just want to thank uh, Trader Joe's cause they've been uh, great to us, uh, over the years. And I didn't get to talk about them at the beginning because we had Jen come on, but yeah. two, two Trader Joe's words for you. You can thank me later. Seafood blend. What? Go to Trader Joe's, go to the frozen fish, get the seafood blend. It is so good. It's this kind. It's shrimp, scallop, and calamari. Oh, and you can grill it up. You can do whatever you can. It's just easy, easy, easy. But it's like it's delicious. It's good stuff. So there you go. They're nice. the best at the frozen stuff. That's for sure. I love yeah. it. Um, and then okay, I gotta do a little quick rant just because. Yeah, I here we go. Bring it. Let's go, boss. Stuff. There, uh, there's a lot of um, there's negativity in the world. There's negativity on the peristyle. We saw on you know, our war room post today. Uh, negativity in our YouTube chat of what's going on. People just sort of like eoring this doom and gloom and everything. And I get it like for decades and I've been covering this team for a long time, starting back in 96. You know, I, my first year at college at USC was 1989. I've seen a lot of bad leadership and USC was just one of those places that has inherited advantages, inherited advantages, and they could just even this, you know, despite not having great facilities or paying well or whatever, they could still succeed. I mean, to think about 2016, USC starts off one and three, gets smoked by Alabama, and wins the Rose Bowl that year. Like, there's not a lot of programs that could do that. Like, you could be that inept to start the season and still win a Rose Bowl. You just have to get things right. You have to get the right people in place at USC, and things good things happen. And for a couple of decades, they were just not doing that hiring three straight athletic directors who were just former football players, you know, and, you know, keeping head coaches around that they shouldn't have kept or hiring people that they shouldn't have hired just year, just years after years. And then the, the university as a whole had a lot of problems too. There were so many bad decisions and those bad decisions pile up. My analogy is always like, if you get one parking ticket, it's fine, right? You can throw it away. You get 10 of them. There's a boot on your car. Now you got to make you, you, those were 10 bad decisions you made. They piled up. USC's had piling up of bad decisions, bad decisions, bad decisions. How do you fix that? You hire people that are good at their jobs. I ranted forever about USC hired people that weren't good at their jobs that they just hoped would be good at their jobs. Like, oh, he played football at USC. Maybe he'll be a good athletic athletic director and overseeing like a $125 million budget. No, that was the wrong answer. When you got Mike Bone in, you at least had somebody that had athletic director experience. I think Brandon Sosna did a really good job behind the scenes of what's going on here. Jen Cohen's a very accomplished athletic director. She is good at her job. She hired Caitlin DeBoer. USC was four and eight. I mean, Washington was four and eight the same year USC was four and eight. And they went to the national title game. So she's good at doing this kind of stuff. She's good at being an athletic director. She's good at raising funds. She's a bulldog. She wants to be successful. I, you know, if you want to complain about everything, that's fine. She's been on the job for five months. I feel pretty confident that things are going, they're going to be better because you got someone like Jen Cohen in place running the athletic department. And it's a, I mean, she took over a wild time. Things are changing. It's just, it's crazy in college football right now, going to a new conference. Um, but, you know, those are the kind of people you want in place when the challenging times are coming because they're going to make good decisions. Maybe not everyone, but they're going to make good decisions and put you in a better place to succeed. And I think as a fan, that's what you want. You want to see the athletic department care as much as you about winning. And for years, people assumed that they did. 
The athletic department wanted to win. They would like to have win, but they weren't going to make decisions to, to lead to winning. They just wanted to do it their way, keep their little fiefdoms in place. It was terrible. It was really bad. It was poorly run. And you just kind of could make that bad decisions and win at USC. And that sort of dried up. And now you need people that are good at their jobs, making good decisions, leading to wins. And I think Jen Cohen is someone that's good at her job. She's going to make good decisions and that should lead to win. So I get it. You want to complain. That's fine. But just she's good. Hopefully you enjoyed the conversation we had with her. And I don't know what the future is going to hold, but I would, I'm more optimistic knowing someone like Jen Cohen's running the athletic department than I would have been if Lynn Swan or Pat Hayden or whoever one of those jokers were running it before. So rant over. <laughs> I, I totally agree. <laughs> I just hope that when you do have these people in place who are good at their jobs, are you putting them in the best possible position to succeed? And right now, I don't know if you can say that. And we've gone back and forth a whole lot about why USC does the things that they do. They've been burned by the past, it seems like, and they're risk averse and they don't want to push the envelope. Other schools are pushing the envelope. Maybe if they had Lincoln Riley and Jen Cohen, they could do better than uh, what's been done the past couple of years. But I, th- I agree with you, Ryan. You got the right people in place. We, we got to see what happens. But are they put in the best position to succeed right now? I don't know for sure we can say that. Well, I think like Ryan, first of all, as like you just spoke as a USC alum, as a non-USC person observing as an outsider and an insider, you and I had this conversation a while back. Like when you look at that five higher stretch of like two athletic directors and three coaches, right? Sark, Lane Kiffin, um, Pat Hayden, Lynn Swan, Clay Helton, right? All of those were internal hires. All of those were let's keep it within the circle. Let's not let's let's not put ourselves out there because God forbid we reach for somebody outside and they turn us down. Right? We talked about that level of insecurity yeah. that seemed to be driving a lot of those hires and a lot of what was going on. And if you look at what's happened at USC. At the last, I would say, look at four very specific hires. Um, Lincoln Riley, Mike Bone, Brandon Sosna, and Jen Cohen. Those are four non-USC hires. And there's nothing to say that like it had to be that way. But to me, the encouraging sign is just the process. The notion that USC looked outside of itself to go and get what they thought were the best people. You know, Mike Bone's legacy, that'll be something to debate, discuss for years. But I think with Jen Cohen and Lincoln Riley, you know, and and Brandon Sosna, I think, who also deserves a lot of credit. But I think the idea that USC is aware now that it's USC-ness is not enough. Right. It's not it's not just enough to slap the the decal on, to slap the Trojan helmet on and hope it all works out. It, it's too competitive now. That world is over. The good news is is that the ceiling for USC is still as high as it's ever been. You just have to have the right people. There's no reason they can't win a national championship. That that's the bottom line. At some point when you get enough right people doing the right things, it's going to happen. I just think the reality is is that in this moment, in the wild, wild west, as she said, and as I called it, and as we've called it many, many times, you have to understand where these institutions, what's driving these institutions. And Jen Cohen is going to do as much as she is allowed to do for this window of time. And the more she's allowed to do, and the more Lincoln Riley's allowed to do, the better it's going to get. 
Yeah, well, right now, though, don't you think Texas and Ohio State ceiling is higher because they're operating differently? So I just push back on you only need the right people, and that's going to take you to the promised land. Other things need to fall into place as well. Well, no, that's what that's kind of what we said. Like, you have to understand. So right now, I think they're, they're not going to win the national championship. <laughs> they're not. They're not going to win the 2024 national no, championship. No. That isn't going to happen. But that doesn't mean they can't be a good team. No, that doesn't not, mean they can't compete. The, the, the you know you look at first of all and and you also have to remember too there are ramifications and consequences on the other end of things uh-huh. that we cannot foresee yep. so it is totally valid to sit here and say well ohio state's doing this and texas is doing this and oregon's doing this and man if we were sitting in their spots we'd be booking flights for the national championship and the playoff and all that and that's valid and that's true it's also equally valid to say that nobody knows that in three years, four years, five years, you're not going to want to be in either of those three seats for reasons that we cannot foretell. And 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 that's just the, the bottom line is it's just philosophical. And as fans, of course, you're going to want to go on the side of the, the rebels, right? The rule breakers, the we don't care. We just want to win football games. That's it. And... That's understandable. That's every fan's impulse. It's just not where USC's at. And the sooner you embrace that, I think the more enjoyable these next few years. And by the way, it's not like USC's an empty space right now. You know what I mean? There's there's no reason this can't be a really good, watchable, satisfactory football team. Yeah. It's, it's weird right now. Because we, the landscape is changing. And once if things go in-house, that'll change things. There's a lot of, you know, there's... Uh, there's a court case going on right now where people are testifying that these athletes are employees. There's a lot of that stuff going on. USC fans, like USC's had an identity for years and you guys, you've seen it, RJ, Connor, you've probably seen it too. They just, you know, top five recruiting class, bring in talent. Maybe some of it's overrated or whatever. Don't develop it, squander it. Maybe it works out and you win or you don't or whatever. If you get a really good coach, you can take all that talent and go places. But even like a Paul Hackett or a Clay Helton, you can bring in like these five-star guys and maybe they don't achieve what they should achieve. USC just went out and like, and for the first time in a while, didn't sort of win the offseason as far as like talent acquisition goes. But I think they won the offseason as far as coaching acquisition goes. Could USC go from a like, I don't want to say they're going to be an our kind of guys place, but they bring in coaches that are overqualified. Everyone, instead of, you know, promoting Rocky Seto to be your defensive coordinator, like you got Danton Lynn, you know, you're bringing in a sitting head coach to come in and be a position coach or a defensive coordinator. They've done a lot of that. And I feel like if they can be a program that develops, you would look a little bit more like Michigan or look like uh, Washington, what they did. Michigan, is getting outspent by Ohio State by a long shot. And they haven't lost to them in three years. Uh, Washington, same thing. They're beating the crap out of Oregon, even though Oregon's outspending them. And and some people pointed out in the peristyle, like the COVID year and all that kind of stuff. That's true. But you can build a winning program without spending the most money. And I think for years, USC's just been the team that you would feel like they were spending the most money. They're they're putting all the resources into recruiting and all that kind of stuff. And it's it's changed a little bit now. I think they can get back there. I think we're just in this kind of weird phase where th- the fact that you have like these third party entities having a huge financial you know part of how players are compensated, I think that's going to change down the road, and we'll, we'll see. But 
I think you've got to be happy about the way USC's built the staff and what they're trying to do, you know, having Lincoln Riley, having uh, Danton Lynn and all those guys, and then sort of kind of building on that. But they're used to RJ and they're used to Connor, like just being, you know, bringing in these five-star guys in the offseason. They're not doing that as much right now. I, I like the pieces that they brought in, but they're not getting some of the guys that Oregon are getting or Ohio State's getting. Does that, you know, does that mean that you can't win? I don't think it means that, but it's it's a little bit different of an identity, I guess, than what USC fans are sort of used to. Bringing in those guys and then having to be disappointed that they weren't as good as, you know, oh, Corey Foreman, oh, you got him. Like, okay, he never did anything, you know, but like, that's what sort of the fans are used to as opposed to bringing guys that maybe can just be productive and be coached up. Um, they're just not, I guess they're not used to that kind of dynamic. Well, and I, I think like, I don't even think it's a maybe anymore with the, the our kind of guys things. I think Lincoln Riley has been very explicit and very consistent that that is part of the vetting process now, that when they go to the transfer portal and when they go to high school recruits, they are looking for a certain type of player. And even if you look, it's a small sample size, but you know, I've, I've written about it as, as they bring in transfers, you know, they've brought in, they've brought in some high academic guys. And no, they're not going to go to the extreme of that. But I think it's starting to matter. And, I, and I, I'll, I'll just say a couple things for, for the past and the, and the future. I think USC teams really enjoyed that 2022 team in a way that they had not enjoyed a team in a long while, even some of the other good teams. You know, that team at 11-3, and three, I think you could probably argue overreached to get to that 11-3, and three, but they were a fun team to root for. Lincoln Riley made it very clear they were a super, he loved that team. He really did love that team, coaching that team. And they weren't a championship team, but they went 11-3. and three. They were in the Pac-12 championship. They were two quarters away from the college football playoff. You look at this year's incoming team, it's going to be led by a quarterback who stayed through multiple changes. You've got Jonah Monheim returning for a, is it fifth? fifth, sixth, whatever. You've got a veteran core that's returning. You've got guys who are making the choice to return to USC and to support USC, and they're being led by a staff that wants that in the locker room. So, yes, are they going to have that football factory, Alabama, Ohio State vibe over the next couple years? No, they're not. You're just not. They're not cooking with the same ingredients at the end of the day. However... There is an enjoyment that you can get out of rooting for a really talented team built on character. And it's been a long time since anyone described a USC football team in those words. Yeah. I weigh that, Cotter. Doom and gloom. Is like no, terrible. I, no, no. Not going to uh, win a game in 2020. No, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just wouldn't. I just want the best for, for USC. And I think that's not unfair and i just don't know no. like you look at texas steve sarkeesian in his third year made the playoff lincoln riley going into his third year could they make the playoff sure but i just think they're on they're operating on different fields and i, I agree with rj i think the team is very likable next season and they do have some upside i don't think they'll make the playoff it goes to 12 so maybe i could be eating crow here uh in the future but i i i just think you know if, you, if you're usc football they've had a rocky last uh you know, decade and a half or whatever, maybe even more, two decades since uh, that awesome Pete Carroll run. And I don't think it's unfair to try to ask for them to be taking steps to get back to, to where they were. And I, I think slowly but surely they are, but I think they could be doing more as well. And that's just a thought I have. Yeah, no, I I think you're right. They, you want to take steps towards it. I think 
if you come in, um, whatever, if you take over a job, whatever it is, and the person that was doing that job before was pretty terrible, there's going to be low hanging fruit. I think that happened when like Mike Bone came in. There was just things that were just were so dumb, like oh, uh, song girls are banned from basketball games. Oh, we're going to play an FCS school for the first time in history, even though all the fans hate it. Um, you could come in and though, hey, hey, you know what? We're going to put the song girls back in the basketball game. It's like, yay! Everyone's applauding. It's great. Or we're we, you know they worked there. They had to work to get that San Jose State game on there and paid money and everything, but they got rid of that. But there was also so you can you can get some wins. When you take over someone that sucks, but there's also the sort of infrastructure they left behind that still probably sucks. You know, it's, it's, you know, decades of bad decisions. So I think you know they started to build on that with with Mike Bone, and then you bring in a guy like Lincoln Riley, who's you know he took over for a legend at Oklahoma, and has to kind of rebuild what's going on here. It's a different job. He's learning too. He just turned 40. He's learning how to do things. I think it's a really good sign, like Jen mentioned, that you know, reworking your entire defensive staff and making things better. I think he's, you know, you can he's showing progress and learning on the job too. But for like Jen Cohen taking over, she's only been on the job five months. Are they where they, you know, are they where Oregon is or you know, they're not there. And you hope that they're able to kind of get there. But it seems like they're making good decisions to get in that direction. Will they be able to catch up in time? Are there forces above their heads that are like, you know, limiting what they, the scope of what they can do? I think all those are valid uh, points. But sometimes when you came in, and I, I think this goes back to even when like Riley was hired, when Mike Bone didn't fire Clay Helton right away, their reasoning to us was, you know, at least behind the scenes, there's so much turmoil. Even if we fired him, we wouldn't be able to get the kind of coach we wanted. They really needed to fix a lot of the infrastructure stuff, or at least make it better, allowing a guy like Riley to be hired. So I think this it's still going on. I don't think everything that was broken for the last couple of decades is fixed. So it's a tall task for Jen Cohen to do. And, you know, I think, you know, she's going to do her best to do it. And all, oh, by the way, you're doing this all while you're transitioning into the big 10 too. So there's a lot going and on. And you're getting so. sued. Yeah, there's lawsuits going on. Like USC, USC's always involved in this stuff, you know, um, which is crazy. Like just the the varsity blues, which is oh, I mean, just some of the hilarious. Like I was odd was. I think that's a big reason why we're here. I, a lot of it is too, yeah. and the the sanctions, like the you know, USC's sort of attitude towards like you know the conservative attitude towards we're not going to, oh, that could be that could break a rule, even though no one's like keeping track of the rules. I guess there's, you know, Oregon's kind of, but I, yeah, but USC sort of went from, I don't want to say being like a rogue program, but being more like having, you know, Mike Garrett, when he was there, he was a little, you know, he would push the envelope probably a little too much. And then they really backed off and they were like, not going to, you know, nothing that could potentially be a rule breaker was going to happen. Like, Oh, if we were taking pictures at practice and there's a recruit in the background, they would ask us to like not share you know, oh, that that shows you taking a picture of recruit. It's like, no. Where other schools would be allow you to do interviews with you know recruits on campus. So USC's interpretation of the rules have been very, very conservative over the last, you know, two decades, I guess it was. And that that makes it a little more difficult too. But you know, getting a guy like Riley in, getting Jen Cohen in there, I think they can kind of expand that and maybe we get more clarification from the NCAA and that helps and Congress and all that, but I don't know. 
well, long rants, sorry. I, I think, but I think what you just described is what we talked about at the very top. I think that the frustration for USC fans or the discombobulation is really simple. The history of the program is as one of the forgiveness seekers mm-hmm. in college football. One and it of the did burn them. one of the ones, and it it did burn them, and now they are a permission seeking program at the moment. And there are philosophical frustrations, but there's an equilibrium. It doesn't have to be this or this, right? What we're experiencing right now is USC's search for that equilibrium and the search of, of college football and all these teams and all these sports to find that. And until they find that, nobody is going to be comfortable with everything USC does. It's just, that's not going to happen. So there's going to be that level of frustration. But what I will say is that for the first time in a long time with Jen Cohen specifically, but with, I think with even with Lincoln Riley, the internal adversity that USC has kind of notoriously created for itself, I have a little bit more faith that there's an operator at the helm of the athletic direct at, at, at the, uh, the athletic department who can navigate that. Again, Jen Cohen came from fundraising. That's the toughest needle to thread that there is. That's walking up to people and asking for their money, <laughs> right? That We all know in all walks of life, right? That's the hardest thing to do. But there, you, you control the controllables, and it's not going to get fixed in five months, like Ryan said. But I think if you want the, the hope, the optimism, if you want the glass half full, there are people at crucial positions at USC now who see the roadmap, and they see what's in the way, and they're doing the best to navigate them. And that's, I mean, that's, that's really all you can ask for at this point. I just think recruiting is so important. NIL is a huge part of recruiting, and you just got to stack classes on classes on classes. Yeah. And that, to me, is the, you know, there's nothing that says this is the only way to do it, and you, like, there's no, no just one thing that you can do to, to consistently win, but I, I think recruiting has to be the biggest piece of that pie, and so that's NIL, that is coaching staff, and USC has made some improvements in that field, and I think as time goes on, if you're a fan, you just got to hope the NCAA comes down and says you can now do this, and then USC can really go for it and then start really competing with the Ohio States, with the Texases, with the, the top teams nationally who have gotten a head start. Yeah. Well, she made it, paradoxically, she made it unspecifically clear that this summer some corner was going to get yeah. turned. Some corner is going to be turned that is going to enable USC or, 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 or allow USC to be more aggressive in the places where they at the moment are not aggressive. Mm-hmm. So... In a certain sense, yes, we can't give you a specific answer, but she did give us a specific answer. Things are set to Be get patient. better this summer <laughs> in terms of the stuff we've just talked about. So it's not like you're 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 in a dark tunnel. There is a light, you know, and we'll we'll see the extent to which that that uh, that that improves things. You know, it's funny. Um, college football is such a unique, weird, quirky sport. We that's why we all love it. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, would you rather be? A Michigan fan right now or an Ohio State fan right now? Right now, I'd rather be Ohio State because it's coming, man. For okay, Michigan. but see, that's what the thing is. A couple like, weeks ago. It's about hope. Like, they literally <laughs> just won the national championship and beat Ohio State three years in a row. 
but fans would rather be Ohio State because, like, we just got all these portal guys. We're going to be amazing. It's like, and our rival's going to get hammered. Michigan just was amazing. They just kicked your ass all over the place for three years in a row. But you would rather be Ohio State because they have hope and, like, and, and Harbaugh's gone. And, but Michigan literally just won. Like, they just beat, you know, but, Fans want that, like, they want that portal guy or the five-star recruit or whatever that, like, oh, now we're going to be amazing because there's no, you can't dispute it. Someone said, oh, you're not going to be amazing. Oh, we are. We got him. We got him. He was, he's the best. And they will ignore, like, literally what just happened two weeks ago, which is which is hilarious. Like, <laughs> well, I'm glad you said Ohio State. Hopefully yeah. it wasn't just a joke, but you're just like, I'd rather be Ohio State, the team that lost three times in a row, and they want to fire their coach. But we got a bunch of dudes, so we're going to be great now. Yeah, see, but I I think there's there's a couple different sides to that. I think first off, you know, the reason that the NFL draft is so popular is that the NFL draft is the day when 32 teams feel like they're in it. Yeah. So 32 fan bases feel like they're in it. On the day that the national championship game is played, on the day that the Super Bowl is played, there's only two fan bases that are in it. So it always feels like you'd rather, but let's, I mean, let's be honest. Fans don't face the conflict that USC is facing. Fans are eternal forgiveness seekers. I don't believe there's a USC fan out there who would, who would sign away the Pete Carroll peak years, even if they knew what was coming on the other side of it. I just refuse to believe that. I, I don't believe I, – I, I've never met a USC fan who is so upset about the sanctions that they say, man, I wish we didn't watch maybe the, great, the best college football team in the last quarter century, one of the Mount Rushmore college football teams in the history of the game. Like, if you can be a champion, be a champion. Go win that and enjoy that. Anyone who tells you, Oh no! I'd rather be living in this hopeful space of what we're gonna go win than have Mich. I mean, Michigan's having a parade. Michigan's got the merch. It says national champions on that. Ohio State doesn't have any of that right now. You know, but I mean, you're you're right. Winning is the most important. But the striking similarities between Michigan situation and USC's after Pete Carroll, coach goes to the NFL. Sanctions coming. Like you, you won, That's but true, you yeah. know what I mean, right? Like, and it, don't it, USC it, fans still it, love it, Pete Carroll? Yes. Oh, I mean, love Harbaugh Pete Carroll's not paying for any for, meals for down here at, at this point. You know. You know, it's funny. We um, when we used to be able to cover the uh, off-season workout, so players would come in uh, in the summer and they would go practice on like um, you know one of the fields, and we could go down there and film it and cover. It was great. Like back, we could do all that kind of stuff. All these recruits, they would sign in February and then some of them would, you know, they would arrive in June and we'd be like, oh, here's this new guy. Here's this new guy. And we would like film them. And once they like arrived, fans cared a lot less. They're like, it was more about like, who are you going to get? Some people want to win signing day more than the national championship. It's exactly like, that's like a big deal. So, and I think that's what's making this difficult on USC fans is that USC's won signing day for a long, long, long time way more often than they've won on the field. And this could be a situation where they're going to win more on the field than compared to what their signing day is. And that's not been USC's MO like forever. It's it's really just been about win way a whole lot of signing days and then win on the field a couple of those times, you know? So, but yeah, the, the, the care, when we would be like, Hey, remember that five-star guy you were talking about? I'm filming him catching a pass from whatever, you know, whoever. And, 
And they're just like, oh, what about the guy? And I'm like, you're talking about the next class. Like, he's just got here. He hasn't even, like, had a real practice yet. <laughs> here he is, like, you know, catching balls from uh, whoever, you know, Matt Barkley at, at, out on this practice thing. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, we just care about recruiting and stuff. Who's, who's next? So that's just sort of the way it goes. So that's why the Ohio State-Michigan thing is kind of funny. Um, and you can project, oh, Michigan's going to be terrible forever now. Like, I don't know. Like, still pretty good that they beat Ohio State three years in a row. And, I mean, same thing with Washington. Like, I'd, I'd rather be Oregon going into the Big Ten than Washington right now, but Washington's got over on them, beat them three times in a row, made it a national championship game. But people are like, Oregon's going to be better. I'm like, I don't know, maybe maybe not, but you want that hope sort of thing. Yeah, Saturdays are the most important. Though. You, win, winning is the most important, so I'm joking. and Even when making... Washington beat Oregon, everyone was like, picked Oregon ahead, yeah. like Oregon's right. better. Yeah. And like, yeah. Washington beat them, and everyone was like, oh, Oregon's better, Oregon's better. They, they play them again. again, beat them again. It's like... Uh, but I still, uh, we did that on the podcast of champions after they beat them the second time. We're like, yeah, I get it, but I still think Oregon's better. They should probably get, you know. <laughs> yeah, they should get into the playoff. I mean, uh, keep in mind, this is a sport where not even death is eternal. <laughs> SMU got the death penalty. They're in bowl games. They've, yeah. they've been in bowl games. They're going to these, you know, they're, they're like, so whatever you think is going to happen to Michigan it will not be eternal. It, nor and, and what USC has had to deal with does not have to be eternal either. Yeah. Like that that's the other thing. I mean, it it it's not gonna happen on the timetable that people want it to, but that doesn't mean it's not gonna happen. You know, and people I think don't want to hear that though. That well, but I mean that's just that's just what it is. And I do think managing expectations is one of the biggest jobs that Everybody has yeah. managing your own personal expectations, right? But I, I, I think one of the things, just to bring it back to the actual thing we did here today, I, I think Jen Cohen did a pretty good job of setting expectations, in the sense of she's very aware what what the standard is and what it needs to be. She's also very aware of what it takes to get there, and what USC's doing and what they're not. And what they will be doing. So, yeah, I mean, I think um, it's it's always going to be a plot twist. Always. I will say, if rules change, she's ready to push the envelope. She's ready to go for it. I so, think so, yeah. Yeah. If you're a fan, you just got to hope that these changes come, which isn't sexy, isn't exciting, being patient on the NCAA. But I think that's sort of just where we are right now. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, I think that's probably wrap it up here. Um, Thanks that, again to Jen Cohen. She was great. Oh my god! Th- yeah, like Jen, like so so cool. I mean, she's bad. I think she's badass. Like, I think you know she's gonna do good things for USC. I don't know what's gonna happen, but I mean, I would feel a lot more confident having someone like her running the department than a lot of these other people that have <laughs> USC had trotted out over the years. But yeah, I, I mean, it's but we've met a lot of these people and we just kind of give you our opinion on what's going on. Just feel pretty confident that she's going to do a good job. We'll see. I mean, it's, that's why you get paid the big buck, big bucks. There's just a lot of tough decisions that need to be made and uh, we'll see kind of how she does, but so far so good from Jen. We do appreciate her coming on here. She didn't have to do that. So that was really nice. I know she's got, I think she had a booster meeting or donor meeting and then a big, big 10 meeting um, coming up. So, you know, for us to shoot, you know, put some time in with us. Uh, she didn't need to do that. So that was great. But thanks to everyone that was listening and uh, RJ for coming in uh, and Connor Morissette, AKA triple double. 
for coming in. Uh, it was a little bit different of a podcast that we normally do, but hopefully you guys still enjoyed it because, you know, we had the athletic, athletic director on. What are you going to do? It's big day. It was a big day. It was cool. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm going to have to take these clowns to lunch, I think, now. But I wanted <laughs> oh, to think. All right. <laughs> yes. Uh, but thanks, everyone, uh, for tuning in here on the Peristyle Podcast. Uh, for RJ, Connor, uh, I'm Ryan Abraham. Hope you guys enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time. If it seems like the crew at your neighborhood, Trader Joe's, is having fun, it's probably because we are. And now we're having fun on a podcast, too, called Inside Trader Joe's. Let's talk about what makes Trader Joe's Trader Joe's. The products, the customers, the crew. Why is everybody so nice? It's like, because they are. Because they are. Inside Trader Joe's is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. And thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 